Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome today's guest, the strong and powerful David Donaldson. David, are you ready to do this? I am. Excellent. Let's do this. David is the president and CEO of ERISA Smart. Previously, he was a senior investigator for the United States Department of Labor's Employee Benefits Security Administration. And previous to that, he worked for some of Wall Street's largest firms, managing retirement plans, providing fiduciary guidance, and investment management services. We're excited to have you on. David, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why it is you do what you do. Well, you know, start with my personal life. I'm a, I'm a family man. I have a, a three beautiful kids and a great wife, and spend as much time as I can with them, and uh, that's great. Uh, in terms of my professional life, uh, I am an ERISA geek. I, I, I live, breathe, and eat this stuff on a daily basis. They always say, you know, when you take a foreign language, you eventually become fluent in that language when you dream about it, and I dream ERISA, so <laughs> that's got to be the case. Right, but you know, one of the things you read a little bit about my backpack and I, or my background, and I actually went and worked for the Department of Labor. And, and one of the things that I really found out when I was at the Department of Labor was that there was a true disconnect between what people thought the Department of Labor cared about and what really the Department of Labor cares about in terms of plan management um, and, and following their ERISA guidelines and. For those of you who don't know, ERISA is the Employed Retirement Income Security Act of 1974, and it is the rules and regulations that predicate how you are supposed to run a retirement plan. It's the rules. And I, I was going to ask you to clarify that, so, so thank you for getting out in front of that. Um, what, is the, what is the role of the Department of Labor? You said that there was some confusion about that. Well, the role of the Department of Labor is to enforce Title I of ERISA. If you look at ERISA, it's broken up into two, two uh, components. One is Title I, Title II. Title II is enforced by the Department uh, by the IRS, and uh, Title I obviously is the Department of Labor. And the Department of Labor's job is to make sure that you're running your plan in accordance with a lot of things, not only the rules and regulations, but their plan documents. That you're prudent in the processes you undertake uh, in, in terms of the plan as a fiduciary or a plan sponsor. And, and three, that you enable your participants to have an unbiased, unconflicted um, platform where they can invest for their retirement, where they can put money away and, this, and in a way that is extremely prudent and gets them to the end goal, and that's having a little bit of money at retirement, or hopefully a lot of money, right? Right. Okay, got it. So, so the Department of Labor is interested in making sure that hey, these 401k, 403b type plans are available to the investing public. We want to make sure that the folks who are offering it, the owners, CEOs, presidents of companies, are monitoring the plan and running the plan on a day-to-day basis so that everything goes as it's supposed to and people can accumulate retirement plan assets. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Awesome. And... From what I'm gathering, because your full-time job is working with these plan sponsors in achieving this goal of proper plan management, 
that that's harder than maybe it sounds. How how often are people out of compliance? Well, you know, according to the Department of Labor studies uh, or statistics, seventy percent, approximately seventy percent of plans that they investigate are found to be in compliance. Um, when I was an investigator, I never found a plan that was out of compliance. It was that easy to find a violation. So, um, just to give you some statistics, going back to two thousand ten, um, two thousand ten, the department found. 73% of the plans they investigated out of compliance in 2011, that number was 76. In 2012, that number was 72. 2013, 73. 2014, 64%. 2015, uh, and so on and so on. I mean, we, we, we just every year, year over year, like I said, it's about 70% of those plans are found to be out of violation. <laughs> Got it. All right. So the vast majority of plan sponsors, these companies, are doing something incorrectly when they're offering the retirement plan to the employees. Right. And, and, I, and I blame a lot of that on the industry, right? I, I think there hasn't been a lot of clear and concise uh, uh, guidance and, and professional help as it pertains to our industry. And I always uh, put it in terms like this. If you and I decided to go out and open a restaurant and 70% of the people that came there got food poisoning, we'd be out of business. Not only would our customers not come back to us, but the regulators would shut us down in a heartbeat. And so why isn't the industry have we been able to let plant sponsors fail consistently over and over and over again in their responsibilities, right? My neighbor who makes, uh, he's a sheet metal fabrication guy. He's really good at what he does. He's phenomenal at building out CAD drawings and things of that nature. But he's not great at ERISA, and so he leans on the service providers who help him with his plan for that level of expertise. And for whatever reason, in general, the industry has dropped the ball. I think that that's, that's a, a really interesting, I think probably appropriate way to look at it, is you have these massive financial companies out there, but if the product that they're offering is not being used correctly – where, where is the disconnect? And I, I suppose it does fall certainly partially, if not a lot, on the lap of those big financial companies or those record keepers that actually, when people think about my 401k is with John Hancock, Fidelity, XYZ companies. Interesting. Right, right. And, and you can put a little bit back on the plan sponsor, right? Because as you know, I don't know what, there's 60 or 70,000 licensed financial professionals in the United States, and every one of them is licensed to sell a 401k, right? But that doesn't mean they're expert in managing the 401k, right? So a lot of plan sponsors, plan sponsors don't hire a specialist, but reach out and find a generalist. And typically the generalist doesn't have an insight to ERISA because there's very, very, very little training for financial advisors on how to manage a plan on a day-to-day basis in, in the regulatory register, or registration and, and, and testing. Got it. Yeah, the, the, the last person, well, probably probably the last party or person in this, in this picture that I would hold responsible would be the plan sponsor, just because, to your point with the gentleman who's producing sheet metal, you know, running a business is hard enough just 
doing the actual function of the business, let alone now you have to worry about employee benefits, now you have to worry about the 401k, now you have to worry about the actual fiduciary process behind that. So it it is a ton of, of work. And so you need the financial advisor that you're working with and the help of the record keeper and other parties to make sure you're doing it correctly. What are some of the... Uh, what are some of the common problems that are that, that the Department of Labor uncovers? Uh, pretty easy. I mean, number one violation is delinquent contributions and loan repayments, meaning once you take that money out of the employee's paycheck, the employer is not timely remitting that money to the record keeper or into the 401k, right? You have a guy that might do it sometimes on Monday. Other days, he might do it on Wednesdays. The Department of Labor really wants to see consistencies in forwarding those contributions, right? Because uh, in the time between them taking the money from the pay period, right, for, from the paycheck, till the time that they put that money in the plan, they have a fiduciary responsibility over that money. And it is ultimately important to have that money into the 401k invested as soon as possible. And particularly when we've seen what the market's done over the last couple of years, right? right? You know, five or six days could have could have an impact on the growth of that money. And two, it's not the employer's money, it's the employee's money. So the most prudent thing to do is to put that money into the plan as soon as possible. And that's what the regulations say. The other is is not following the plan documents correctly, not understanding the plan documents. I can tell you uh, during my time as an investigator and even now, uh, a lot of fiduciaries don't even have their plan documents, let alone read their plan document. So when they set up their payroll system, they're screwing up in terms of what the definition of comp is. Does it include all W-2 eligible earnings or does it carve out bonuses? Does it uh, carve out fringe benefits uh, or does that include fringe benefits? And so truly understanding your plan document is key. And I always say in a lot of my public speeches that I do, it's kind of like the owner's manual to your car, right? You refer to that owner's manual when you blow your fuse so you can easily get it and fix it and understand what that where that fuse is. And your owner's manual is just that. Now, your plan document is just that. It's your owner's manual to your plan. It's, it's kind of your, your guidebook on how to manage your plan. It tells you everything you're responsible to do and kind of how to do it. So not all plan documents are the same. It's not the same for everybody's 401k. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, as you go through your plan, you have the ability to join it. You know, obviously the basic principles of ERISA are going to be built into that plan document, but some plan documents allow for uh, do a safe harbor contribution. Some uh, allow for uh, different types of eligibility, different types of matches, different definitions of comp. Right, breaks in service regarding how that works. Um, so they're really different in terms of how everything operates, and it's up to that individual to know exactly what their plan document predicates that they must do. Got it. So, from an accounting standpoint, there's a big problem, and I don't know if it's accounting is is, is the right term, but when I actually take the contributions and put them into the plan, not following the actual plan document for my plan. Are there other really, really common ones? In terms of, of plan management, failure to monitor is a big one, right? There, there's a tremendous amount of things that you need to monitor, all the way from those who service your plan, your record keeper, your advisor, things of that nature. 
you have to monitor the investments. You have to monitor that the, the fees are reasonable. Not not that they have the cheapest fees, but that your fees are reasonable for the for the services that you're getting. Right. You also need to monitor uh, to ensure that uh, the notices are being sent out. And not only that the notices are being sent out, but the notices are consistent with ERISA. Right. Many times when we look at a notice that was prepared by a service provider, we find that it's actually missing key elements that are required under ERISA. And so when somebody is in violation of one or some or many of these um, of, of, of these things, what are some potential penalties that they might face? All kinds. So I can tell you last year, the Department of Labor collected in, in fees, penalty, fines, money owed back to the plan, a total of $1.1 billion. Right, and that was out of about, out of about 17, or about just almost 1,800 investigations that they did. Right? So you could do the math and figure out what that average is. But the reality is, is what the department is looking for, first and foremost, is how were participants harmed? Right? How were they financially harmed? And if there was a financial harm, how do we calculate what that, what we call, lost opportunity costs are? Right? Maybe it's somebody uh, self-dealing with the, uh, the plant assets, the CFO, uh, buying himself a, a, a vacation home or, or investing in a company that he has a controlling interest in in a profit-sharing arm. So we're always going to look at what it is in terms of how the participants were harmed and then calculate a lost opportunity cost. And then on top of that, obviously, you have IRS excise tax that needs to be paid. Uh, which is typically around 20%, can be up to 100% of the violation, dependent upon the calculation. Uh, you also have uh, certain things like certain notices aren't delivered, such as a blackout notice. There's $100 per day uh, per participant for the number of days that that blackout notice wasn't given. Right. So there's a lot of different penalties that are wrapped up in this. To sit here and go through all of them would be extremely cumbersome. Sure. But there are penalties. There are penalties. There are fines. And there is money that's put back into the plant. And I always want to stress, you know, if you look at that big number, $1.1 billion, that is a very large number. And I haven't seen the breakdown of that number because it's not something the Department of Labor readily uh, puts out there. But based on my experience as being a senior investigator for the Department of Labor, I can tell you a majority of that money went back to the pockets of the plan participants. So the Department of Labor isn't just going out collecting large sums of monies and fines and penalties to put in their pocket. They're actually out there doing the right thing and making sure participants are made whole, right? Because that's kind of their mission is to protect the retirement benefits of the average person. And they do a tremendous job doing that. And a lot of that $1.1 billion ended up going back to a participant in some capacity. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So I, I know that there's not one steadfast rule that says the CEO manages the retirement plan or the CFO or the human resources leader, but it usually falls on, on one person or, or a team of people within the organization um, or maybe even a committee. What, what would your advice be to them or what what steps can they take to make sure that their plan is in compliance? It's education. Education is the key, right? Education and outsourcing are probably the two best things you could potentially do for yourself as a 401k um, fiduciary, 
right? And even sometimes people think, don't know their fiduciaries. I just recently saw a study uh, that was done that said uh, that 49% uh, of plan sponsors that are fiduciaries don't know they are. So one is understanding that you are a fiduciary and you have a responsibility to the plan. The second is educating. In the study we did, we actually found that on, on average, and this is plans from zero to billions of dollars, about 79% of plan sponsors have never had education as it pertains to their responsibilities under ERISA, right? No formal training. And if we look at those numbers a little clearer, plans that are over 500 million or above, it's about 50-50. So even plans that have robust benefits departments have people working with inside their departments that have never had any fiduciary training whatsoever, right? If you ran a company and you had... Uh, a warehouse full of people, you're going to teach them what their job is. You're going to make sure they're certified to drive a forklift. You have a sales team. You're going to have sales meetings once a month. You're going to have an annual sales conference. But it's crazy that in the 401k world, no one just takes the time to understand and learn what their responsibilities are. Going back to that 70% of plans that are out of compliance, most of those are omissions of the rules and regulations. One of the things I always say, it's what you don't know, you don't know, that gets you in trouble with the Department of Labor. Oh, I certainly and then obviously yeah. the second is outsourcing. Yeah, an outsourcing. And there's a tremendous amount of things that you can outsource to an external fiduciary to take on not only the day-to-day -day operations and run your plan as an expert, but it also can substantially mitigate your risk as it pertains to your 401k and your personal fiduciary liability. Got it. That's great advice. And I certainly wouldn't think that the majority of these problems are caused by malice or people trying to do something underhanded. We talked about how half of the half of the people didn't realize that they were a fiduciary. Who how how do I know if I'm a fiduciary to a to my company's retirement plan? Well, a couple of ways that you would know you're a fiduciary. One is listed in the plan document. The document will identify who the fiduciaries are to the plan. The other is by the functionality of what you do. And typically, anybody who has discretionary control over the plan or the plan assets would be named a fiduciary. To give you a, a perfect example of that is, let's say you have a, a doctor's office. And in that doctor's office, you have a lady who is um, kind of the office manager, right? Small plan, 10 employees in the 401k. The doctor's busy doing everything that doctors do, and the office manager takes a lot of the responsibilities on a day-to-day -day basis. She's meeting with the advisor. She's approving what investments should be in the fund. She's actually taking the discretion as to when she should forward in the contributions. In that example, that person may be deemed a fiduciary under ERISA simply because her actions and will show that she's actually uh, controlling the plan assets or has discretionary control over the plan assets. Well, David, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? This is educating yourself on your rules and responsibilities under ERISA, right? And second is outsource your fiduciary responsibility to a third party, right? And there's some great tools. And if you want me to get into that, I can talk to you about a little bit about what we do and what's out in the industry to help you do that type of stuff. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. So, yes, David, please do share with us where people can learn about you and your work and get some of those resources. 
So there's there's two t- companies that, that we have. You know, obviously our main is ArisaSmart.com. On there, you can find out a lot of it about what we do. There's actually some really great free worksheets and tools that we offer and that we've built, so people can have those, right? And as Arisa Smart, one of the things we do, we take on what's called 316 fiduciary administration. So we'll take on the day-to-day management of the plan from a fiduciary capacity, right? We'll handle the loans, distributions, hardships. We'll sign, we'll file your 5500. We'll review your non-discrimination testing. So we we take on a lot of the day-to-day operations. So we, we become almost a part of your uh, HR department, right? Obviously, you're still going to have a TPA, right? The TPA is in charge of doing your tax returns, administering your plan as it pertains to the record, working with a record keeper. You're still going to have the record keeper, but we're a layover that. We can work in the bundled, meaning that, uh, you know, for example, uh, a record keeper does the TPA work as well, or we can work unbundled where the two entities are separate. We are kind of an add-on feature to that, but we're completely independent of any other services provided to a plan, which makes us independent of any potential conflicts of interest. And that's one of the big things you want to look at. There's a lot of TPAs who are also adding 316 services. And it concerns me a little bit. One, how do they know when they're making a mistake if they've made the mistakes themselves, right? And two, it's not an independent party, right? It's not independent. They're checking their own work. It's like, you know, when you were in school and the teacher would say, okay, now we're going to correct the spelling test and you'd erase a little bit and make that, that I look into an E. Kind of very similar to that if, 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 if they offer separate, or, you know, other services as a plan. But we are completely independent. We'll be more than happy to talk to you about that or reach out to your financial advisor. Uh, they know who we are. We've trained probably over 10,000 financial advisors and probably 5,000 plan sponsors over the years. And we've done that through a t- couple of entities. We, we've researched and went out and, and did many events. Uh, I was a road warrior for several years. And then, two, we also own a company called FiduciaryEducation.com. You can either go directly to FiduciaryEducation.com or there's a link on ArisaSmart.com that'll take you there. And what we've been able to do is provide good fiduciary training at a low, low price. It's a paste it at yourself uh, type uh, online training modules and uh, takes about two hours to do and you can also get SHRM HRCI credits for doing that but you know going back to what we know is 79 78 percent of plan sponsors have never had fiduciary training the other thing that we have on fiduciary education.com is we have some free modules so there's certain things that are a topic of interest to you like how to look up your 5500 because you don't have a copy of last year's 5500, there's a way to go to the Department of Labor website and look for yourself and pull that uh, via eFast. Uh, the latest one we're coming out with is how would you fare in a DOL interview? We have one in there called how to, how to do background checks on your financial advisor. Right? How many of you have ever done the due diligence to make sure your financial advisor doesn't have any blemishes on this record? Right. So there's a lot of free tools that we offer on fiduciaryeducation.com and then we obviously have, and we continually add content to make it better and better. It's it's uh, it's not sponsored by the industry. It is completely independent of sponsorship. It's something that that we've wanted to keep really clean and legit, and and outside of the grasp of the industry, and 
terms of, of content. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show David your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Thank you again, David. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.